Welcome to today's show. I'm one of your hosts, Julian, and I'm joined by co-host Mark. And, How are you doing? And the gentleman who's on the screen today with us is David Donnelly, musician. Hi there. And, uh, you know, for our first episode, it just made sense to uh, kind of bring someone in who we know, who works, who uh, has put out music, and uh, has something very interesting, you know, going on musically. So, David, why don't you just uh, give everyone a, a quick overview about yourself before we get into talking about some of the stuff today? Um, well, I guess, uh, like you said, a uh, professional musician for um, the last decade and a half. Uh, it took me a while to get to the position of handing my notice in, so I could do that, you know. Um, and since then, I've been... Uh, I've done my own bands, but generally I've been a sort of hired hand. Uh, you know, I'm sure you've seen those documentaries on, you know, the, the guys in the shadows, as it were, um, behind bigger artists. And uh, But that's allowed me, um, well, mainly, I suppose, to tour around the world. Um, but also, because I'm not the main guy, and that's never been something I particularly fancied, uh, the, the poor main guy is usually stuck in the hotel doing interviews while I go and have a little wander around uh, you know, St. Peter's Square in Italy or something. It's, uh, you know, it's, <laughs> it's a favourable way of doing things. But, yeah, I've, uh, I've been very lucky to um, to play with a lot of people that I sort of grew up listening to, and um, there'll probably be plenty of examples like that in this podcast, I imagine. Yeah, that'll exactly be the case. And, of course, uh, my co-host, Mark, um, you know, why don't you tell everyone a bit about yourself? Because you're also a working musician uh, and have done a lot of interesting things. So I feel a little bit outnumbered here. I, I piddle around on a guitar. I'm, I'm by no means anything, but uh, you guys are the real deal. So, Mark, uh, why don't you introduce yourself to everyone? Yeah, so um, my name is Mark, and uh, I play in the band uh, Project Gemini, I'm sure People who have seen me on other podcasts know about that. Um, but I do a progressive rock sort of band, and it's a one-man thing. I do it all myself. I produce it, record it, write it, sing it, play it, do everything, and even release it now, um, records or CDs. Um, but before that, I was in numerous bands before as well um, and toured across Canada. And then I also joined... Uh, a band called Piledriver, who some of you people might have known from the 80s. Um, they were a pretty popular thrash metal band in the mid-80s. And uh, they, well, he reformed the band in the 2000s, and I was asked to join on guitar. And uh, I was with them for about six years. We went across Europe and the United States and Canada. It was a fantastic time, one of the best times of my life, actually. It was lots of fun. Met lots of crazy people. And... Uh, yeah, I wouldn't have traded it for the world. And now I'm just focusing on my own music and uh, also working on doing some podcasts here. Uh, one of them is with Julian, of course, on the Kiss FAQ. And another one is the Yes Music podcast with my good friend Kevin. So, and uh, Oh, and we'll also do another one, uh, the East-West Vinyl Analysis with Ken Keenan. Yeah, and uh, he's he's a, quite a interesting character. He's also on the uh, FAQ with us as well. So lots of things happening. Yeah, I'm glad you didn't forget the Ken podcast as well, because uh, Ken is, of course, the voice of reason, and uh, hopefully he'll come on this show for one of our episodes in the future. So, David, you've got uh, 
a new project about to uh, have some good stuff happening with it. Um, I know we did talk to you on the Kiss FAQ podcast. It, gosh, it must be a year ago now um, yeah. when the the single was initially released. So why don't you give us an overview before we get into uh, our topic uh, about what's going on, uh, what your plans are for it, and then we'll talk a little bit more about it as we go through the show. Okay. Well, one of the uh, one of the reasons I'm vastly unprepared for this uh, podcast is because I've been out all day um, overseeing the edit of uh, the promotional um, video, not the promo video, uh, but uh, an advert for the single. And it's the Venus Reaction single, um, crashing up and it's it began as a project that because I like I said I, I tend to play with these other people and but obviously I, I do I do write my own stuff and and I um, I also think one of the things was that I've been drumming a lot I've been, I've, drums seem to be the main thing but I, I was definitely a guitar player um, and I just wanted to do something that was led by me on guitar for once and then I started thinking who I'd like on it um, initially, I was going to do a solo thing, and I sort of chickened out immediately at the vocal stage. Um, and I got the very lovely Amy Conradine to uh, to do the vocals because um, she's just one of my favourites. And uh, and I thought, right, okay, where do we go from here? I'm on guitar, and I got um, Ed Graham, who uh, is the drummer for The Darkness, who I'm sure some of you um, know in Canada and America. Uh, I think they're fairly well known mm -hmm. and, um, and then I was drumming for Glenn Matlock from the Sex Pistols or Faces or Rich Kids or Primal Scream or whatever band you know that he's he's, he's, uh, he's been in uh, he just loves playing with different people you know and uh, and so I thought well if he likes playing with a lot of different people and guesting on things I wonder if it's worth an ask and so I asked him and, and he was he just said yes you know I'll do that so it's basically a super group except myself if you like because all three of the others are quite well-known people <laughs> but that wasn't why I did it um I think I, you know I think I've talked to you Mark off air about it and stuff and music to me um it's about the players and it's about what people bring to something and uh you know I have actually been very very cautious in in sort of pushing who's on the single you know when I've put the you know Glenn's on it or Ed's on it I I very rarely say who they who what bands they were in and I just let people find out and that's been the that's been the thing with this single is that um you know I don't have a rec I, I haven't got a manager um there's no PR company behind it um and it's just me you know doing it myself in the way that I I just love the, the seven inch single you know and that's the most that's the weirdest thing I suppose that's the most unique I guess thing about it is the fact that I did it on a clear vinyl seven inch single and although it does have a download card with it with the two tracks on and the demo and the pictures and all that so hey there it is very nice and <laughs> um but the, the download card that comes with it is my sort of concession to the modern world if you like but um I before the internet as both of you know you you didn't know about something happening. You didn't hear like a clip of it. You didn't get a leak of it. It was, if you were lucky enough, you picked up a magazine that said that your favourite band was bringing a single out in maybe three weeks' time. And the pain of having to wait, you know, or, <laughs> other, or other times you'd just walk into your local record shop and you'd look at the wall and, and there'd be a single by a band that you loved and you'd just have to grab it, you know. And I kind of wanted to go back to that time 
So I didn't want, you know, a big hurrah, a big sort of, you know, check this. I basically did a bunch of videos, made a Facebook page, made a YouTube channel, and we just popped, we just popped it out. And that's when I say we, that's me and uh, Chris Topham, who runs Plain Groovy Records in England. They're an independent record label. Um, so it was a bit of a strange way of doing it. Um, but uh, what the reason why it's getting a, another push now is because, um, again, I think Mark knows this. I think maybe Julian knows this as well. Um, but just before, about a fortnight before it was released, um, I, I had three horrible bereavements in a row. And um, by the time the record came out, I just I wasn't in the right frame of mind or state to go rah, rah, rah about it. Do you know what I mean? It was just an act, you know, you can't help it, you know. Um, my head was in a, in a weird place. So it really did just leak out sort of thing. Um, but the record company were very good and they supported me. Um, and, uh, and now they said, look, let's, let's push it, you know, again and, uh, and get it out because it's, uh, it's not going to be repressed. I think I've told you this, Julian, you know, it's my, I'd like it to be a collector's piece. There aren't many copies. There's only 500 in the world. Um, and uh, and basically when they're gone it won't be repressed, it won't be anything you can't get it on iTunes, you can't get it on Spotify but you can get it on your computer if you buy it because it's got a download card but uh, I've, I've no interest in giving it to Spotify you know <laughs> what, what that 0000083 per stream doesn't interest you? I mean, you, you know, after 50 million streams I'll give you a dollar yeah, exactly, exactly. No, I, I just, I, I think that's that's awful, you know. I think that's, the, I, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm an older musician um, or, you know, I just, I love the real thing. You know, I do, obviously I download things if it's only downloadable or whatever, but if there's a vinyl copy of something, I'll get that and, and I'll probably download it as well so I can carry it around with me in my, you know, on my travels and what have you. But yeah, if there's a vinyl copy of something, I'll, I'll have it and so... Um, that's where the idea for the single came. And like I say, the musicians on the single and the, the singer on the single, I, I swear they were picked purely because they were my favourite musicians. I love the way Ed plays drums in the darkness. Glenn's always been one of my favourite bass players, mainly in the Rich Kids, to be honest. Absolutely. And I, uh, that, that's always going to be the one that I mentioned because the pop and, uh, you know, kind of the pop pretensions that the Rich Kids had, Glenn, those lines he was running through that stuff especially the rich kids track which is what hooked me on that band in the first place is just sick great he's, yeah. he's a great songwriter as well as a bass player right, right up to present day you know right up to present day he's, he's done four solo albums and uh, obviously i joined his band um during well to do the born running tour which was his solo album one solo album ago because he's just put another one out called good to go um but the one before that was born running and uh it, it's just I'm not on it, so I feel like I can say, you know, I didn't play drums on it. Javier from the Stereophonics played drums on it. So, I, you know, I don't feel like I'm saying, oh, check this out, I'm on it. But uh, to do the tour was, oh, it's fantastic, absolutely fantastic. Um, it's a brilliant album. It's a brilliant album. So that that will lead us very nicely into, you know, what today's topic is, because it's about, I guess, singles or, you know, single songs and we're doing a top 10 today. That is our top 10, what are we going to call it, Mark? British? Top 10 UK singles that, we, that, that are like influential to us. 
Absolutely. So, you know, singles have always been important. My first purchase as a music fan was a single. You know, Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. I love rock and roll, and I, I can't remember if it was uh, the initial release or the re-release, because that one had been out a few times as well before it hit, uh, like many songs. I mean, Blondie had a few issues that, you know, didn't hit, didn't hit, get, kept getting re-released, re-released until it finally stuck. So, um, Mark, why don't you lead us into this topic and start us off with, uh, you know, some of yours, how you approach doing your list, and uh, then uh, get us some music. All right, so... Basically, I'm a very uh, big fan of the progressive genre, as well as rock, obviously, and metal and stuff like that. Um, but a lot of the bands that I'm influenced by and also just love listening to in general seem to be all from the UK, or, or at least 80% of them at least. So, um, so this was, on one hand, simple but on another hand, difficult to windle it down to 10. Now, some of these bands, when we say singles, some of these bands probably never really even had a single because they're so, you know, odd a band that, you know, I don't think radio would have played their stuff on radio. But I'm looking at it as like individual songs as well from their catalog that have influenced me. But a lot of them are singles. I was surprised when I looked through it um, for these bands. But um a lot of them are on the progressive side, but a lot of them are bands that I'm sure that everybody will know for sure. They're not that out to lunch where you have to go looking through like a prog magazine and go, who the hell is this band again? You know, so you're, you'll know who I'm talking about for sure. And in my top 10 list, um, even the, the number 10 band is probably a band a lot of people love. And, and it's a band that I've always loved very much. So I'll tell you what my number 10 pick is, which is The Police. I've always loved the police. They're they're a fantastic band, and I've always loved their music uh, from the first day that I've ever heard their stuff. So I and I've I picked "Message in a Bottle." That's one of my favorite songs I've I've heard from them. And really, as a guitar player, I always found that a kind of interesting challenge to play because there are some pretty wide stretching inversions there to play on guitar, and it's not as simple as it sounds to play. And especially if you played at their tempo you know, then, you know, you, you, your hands are going to be cramped out after a while playing that stuff. So uh, The Police has always been uh, a band that I've always loved. And, uh, you know, they're, they're highly influential to me as far as them being a three-piece as well. And, you know, me, I love my three-piece bands, especially being from Canada. You know, Rush is my favorite band, right? So I, I love the three-piece uh, way of doing things. So my first pick is The Police, Message in a Bottle. Nice pick. David, how did you approach yours other than rapidly? Uh, <laughs> I've, I've gone chronologically. I've gone chronologically. I was going to say to Mark, have you have you not got the green vinyl message in a bottle? No, I, I don't. I just have the, uh, I have the, just like the regular black uh, 45 singles from uh, here in Canada on the A&M label. Okay, because there was there's a green vinyl which I have downstairs. Maybe maybe I'll, there'll be a gift coming to you sometime. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Thanks. I've gone I've gone chronological. Um, do you want me to start? Yeah, please sure. do. Excellent. Okay, well, first off uh, is uh, the first band I really got into, and um, now they're a strange band because they they have a sort of almost schizophrenic. Um, quality in that uh, they were very much a bubblegum band when they first came out 
Um, but to me, they they were in that era where, you know, they were pushed to be pop performers and what have you, but their B-sides were like Deep Purple or something, you know, and their album tracks were amazing. Um, and so my first my first pick is Turn It Down by Sweet. Oh, nice. Um, and Turn It Down is an absolute killer of a track. It, it, um, it came out in 1974 and um, it, was, it was banned by the BBC. Now, this is so British. This is so British. They were banned by the BBC, this record, because of the phrase, for God's sake. So, yeah, it, it, didn't, wow. even have a, it didn't have any cursing in it. It was just, it, for God's sake, it was just too, too hot for the radio. So it wasn't a big hit, but I really didn't like, I wasn't really in a blockbuster and stuff like that. That wasn't my, my bag at all. It was, I think I, I was basically bought a sweet album by my sisters for a birthday. And, um, and the album tracks, like I say, they were, they were like Deep Purple or they're really heavy. And so the actual singles were not my favourites, but this one, Turn It Down, um, it's got a classic riff. It's got a, a really heavy riff. It's it's fantastic. I love it. So, yeah, the first, Sweet were just, they're an amazing band. And, and as a little drummer, you know, I was a drummer since the age of five. And, um, I, I, I mean, Mick Tucker was just he was right right up there as, as someone who just made me want to be a drummer, um, you know. And uh, I, I went to his funeral, in fact, to, you know, quite literally to pay my respects because I really mm. wanted to, um, you know, he, he'd basically been a big, big part of me being in music in the first place. So, uh, so yeah, Sweet, turn it down. If you haven't heard Sweet, turn it down, and all you can think of is Ballroom Blitz and... We wham bam or whatever stuff. Just put it, just put it into YouTube. Sweet, turn it down. They did a brilliant version of this on Musikladen, which is that German live TV show. So there's a live rocking version on uh, YouTube. So uh, check it out if you wish. Yeah, there's a reason why the Sweet is an inspiration for so many, you know, musicians that came later, and it's more than yeah. just a couple of songs. So, oh. all right, my first one will be right up your alley. Um, it's the first band I actually started collecting before all that Kiss stuff came along. I was collecting Sex Pistols singles. Hey! Um, <laughs> because when I started getting into music more, I, you know, just loved the Pistols. And right. when I'd visit England in particular, I'd go to all the record stores and then I started seeing the covers. And it's got the, the single has the worst cover possible out of the majority of the Pistol singles. Not that any of them are high art, other than maybe God yeah. Save the Queen. Um, but Pretty Vacant. Number hey. one, number one, it's my all-time favorite Pistol song. It's, yeah, look at that. <laughs> you know, singles in the 70s often did not get great covers in the uk but uh it, it does well yeah you know I, I guess kiss later uh took on the broken glass thing but uh and the venus reaction pretty vacant great great pop punk song yeah. that really it, it's just perfection crafted it's one it's one i can play on guitar and i just love the riff I love the chords. I love everything about the song, its structure, and the attitude, because it really was kind of what the band was about before it became a farce. So, and and also, um, you know, it's it's actually one of the very few songs that was entirely written by Glenn. Odd that, eh? 
yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, lyrics, lyrics and music. You know, um, I, I believe John altered a line. I believe that's all it is. I think there was one line, um, possibly the stop you cheap comments line. I think, but I, I can't remember now. But I do know that that was that was one that Glenn brought to them um, pretty much whole, and uh, and. Yeah, it's it's a classic, isn't it? It's an absolute uh, it's an absolute classic. And and, jo- um, and John's delivery of it is a cracker. So I mean, it's, oh, it's just funny, yeah. <clears throat> think how young they were and what an amazing sound they made. And uh, and obviously, when I played with Glenn, we always play Pretty Vacant because it is kind of his his song, you know. Um, and uh, it's just one of those moments where. You know, I'm very sensible when it comes to music. I've played with a lot of famous people and, and what have you, and I try not to be... Well, I'm not starstruck, really. They're just really cool at what they do, and I'm just played, pleased to be there. But every now and again, we'd be playing somewhere, you know, like... The, I remember at the Rebellion Festival, which is, I think, about 3,500 people in this big ballroom somewhere, and um, I just remember being halfway through Pretty Vacant and realising that the guy that wrote it was about three feet away from me. You know, and uh, yeah, it's really, it was really good. And I'll, I'll just quickly, just <laughs> sorry if I keep doing this. You'll have to tell me not to, but um, I do know the story behind the sleeve as well. Really? Yeah. Well, do do wanna... t- yeah, do tell them. Yeah, go ahead. Since, since I just slagged it off, we might as well. <laughs> well, they have a guy called Jamie Reed who who did their their artwork, and uh, he was asked by Virgin to get a sleeve done for this, and he he hadn't come up with anything, and he was walking to the Virgin offices, Virgin Record offices. To, to ha- supposedly to hand the, like, the artwork in and he hadn't done anything and apparently he was walking down Portobello Road and he saw he saw this this picture frame in a in a shop window and it was broken um, and he just bought it for like you know a few pence and then just cut out the pretty vacant and pistols logos and put them in there and then said there you go that's the sleeve <laughs> nice <laughs> I think it's great though. I think it's great. I think it sums up, you know, because there's nothing in it. You know, it's pretty vacant, isn't it? Yeah. Well, there you go. Good story that goes along with it. So, great song. Look that one up on YouTube if you never heard, it. and if you haven't, shame on you. Mark, let's go on to a couple more of your picks. Okay. So, um, yeah, I got to say though, that's a that's a great song. I've always loved Pretty Vacant as well, and uh, I think Submission is another song that I love from them, and Holiday in the Sun is another one that I've always enjoyed as well. Um, so I, I'm a big fan of that stuff. I mean, I'm not as deep into it as you guys are. I, I, I know more of the more mainstream, I guess you would say, songs, but still, great band. Um, speaking of great bands, my number nine one is a band that I'm sure everybody knows. And <clears throat> when I say the band, I know people are probably jumped to a certain era from this band and say, okay, well, it's going to be from this album or something like that, but... Really, the era I'm going to pick from is one that has a lot of controversy with their fan base because either people love this era or they hate it completely, and that's Pink Floyd. And I love the song Learning to Fly. And now what what that song did for me was I was just a, a very you know casual Pink Floyd fan before I heard that song. When I heard that song... It really struck me. I thought it was a fantastic song, and, it, and I loved the video to it. And that song made me go back and buy everything on album that they did, and realize just how much stuff I was actually missing. Because at that point, I don't—I had only had maybe Dark Side of the Moon, and I think The Wall. And then when this single came out, 
I bought that record and then I went back and got everything because I just loved it. And the ironic bit about this will be that anybody who's followed me on the uh, Kiss FAQ podcast will know that there's a certain Bob Ezrin who is involved with this record very heavily. And people know how much I uh, I despise his work on a certain Kiss record called Destroyer, right? But like I said in my prior episodes with you guys, I don't despise his work overall. It's just that record. Like this album, uh, Momentarily Lapse, the reason I absolutely love this record. And I think he did a fantastic job, just like I think he did with Alice Cooper stuff and numerous other bands, right? So this, again, is a great example of a time period in the band that was much later than its supposed heyday. And because of this single, it really inspired me to go back and listen to everything else he did prior. Yeah, well, I, I guess it might be a generational thing because I adore that album. If I'm in, you know, have any like depression, just put on that album and brings me up. Um, and I nearly had a, a song from that on mine, and it would have been one slip. So. Oh, cool. Yeah, love the production and just the the ambiance. But yeah, uh, it's not really real Pink Floyd for me. But uh, I I was in a similar boat. I only had Relics in the Wall. And when mm. that came out, and that made me go back and wish you were here. Uh, metal, oh, yeah, metal. Yeah. yeah. Um, animals. They weren't. They weren't really a singles band, were they? I mean, not not at all. No, um, not at all. And look at how tough it was for them to do a single for the Wall. You know, yeah. it was a hatchet job. Yeah. Well, I, I know. Um, you know, like I say, tell me to shut up if it's uh, if it's too much. But as a guest, you know, I'm I'm probably going to interject with various stories on here. But I, I did have a very surreal moment. Again, it was a Mr. Matlock moment, uh, and it was uh, it was at uh, a place called Bowood Festival, which is a festival in in the UK, and uh, we played it. And I I remember we were halfway through, pretty vacant. I remember that was that that was the one, and um, I could see this guy standing. He, he I, I need glasses to drive. Um, and so my eyesight, my sh- I'm quite short-sighted, but I could see this guy singing along with it and, and it really, really enjoying himself. But this, uh, down the side of the festival sort of thing, not actually in the main crowd, but this guy. And I thought he looks familiar, but I, I thought, no, nah, maybe it isn't. I don't know. I don't know. And so after the um, after the festival was done, because um, I think we were head- like, we were headlining, I think. And it was in the grounds of this stately home. We went back to this stately home afterwards. And I was in the kitchen of this place, lovely old, lovely rustic old kitchen. And I was making a cup of tea. Glenn came in and uh, we sat down at a kitchen table. And then this guy came in and I recognized him straight away as the guy that had been singing along to Pretty Vacant. And it was Dave Gilmore from Pink Floyd. <laughs> and, uh, Dave Gilmore <laughs> singing along to Pretty Vacant. That's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently his wife's a big fan. He's, he's, he's really into the pistols. And um, But what, what really got me was that um, I said to him, I said, oh, I said, hey, you were singing along there to Pretty Vacant. And he said, yeah, yeah. He said, uh, and Glenn made a joke and said, uh, you should have got up and played it with us. And Dave Gilmore immediately said, well, you should have asked me. Can you imagine the YouTube clip that would have been? Mm. Can you imagine what that would have been like to have played Pretty Vacant with the guy that wrote it and Dave Gilmore? 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, so David. That, that would be quite a moment. One of the best yeah, guitarists in history. So. Yeah. yeah. And do you know? Do you know who Howard Marks is over there? Oh God, that sounds familiar. Uh, he's the guy that was known as Mr. Nice, the biggest, the biggest hash dealer in the '60s and '70s. Um, very famous for just just being one of the most wanted men. Um, and and he, but he's a real character. He's, he passed away a few years ago, but um, he was at this Bowood Festival as well because he'd released a book, an autobiography. And uh, I heard him afterwards as well. He was telling Dave Gilmore how um, he had a deal with their roadies and they, he used to smuggle so much of his stuff in their amps. You know, in pink, pink nice. toys. There used to be some of the amps were empty and he used to, he used to pack them full of hash. And, uh, yeah, Dave Gilmore knew nothing about this, I hasten to add. Uh, <laughs> All right, well, let's nice. get another one of your single picks, David. Okie dokie. Well... This is uh, <laughs> another, because I didn't know you were going to do Pretty Vacant. So um, basically my next one is Ghosts of Princes in Towers by the Rich Kids. And uh, again, like I say, I can separate friendship from musical heroes, from records, from all that sort of stuff. And so I'm not saying it because, you know, Glenn used to be my boss or anything. Um, but I just think Ghosts of Princes in Towers is one of the, lost number one singles if you ask me i just think it's got everything i, th- I think the lyrics are great the playing's great steve new was an amazing guitarist i love rusty egan's drumming glenn's bass obviously and midger um who went on mm-hmm. to be in Nolks and and all his other stuff was on vocals and, and second guitar um it's just got it all it's just it's just a really uplifting amazing single and um and it should have been a massive i mean it did chart but, you know, and, and I loved it back in the day. This isn't something I discovered through my professional work or anything. And I can prove that by showing this homemade picture sleeve because it wasn't in a picture sleeve. But I made one. <laughs> <laughs> I think I cut the lyrics out of a magazine called Smash Hits that used to have uh, the lyrics in and stuff like that. But, yeah, so I have I have two copies of it. But, uh <laughs> But yeah, I just think it's one of those things, again, it's one of these things where I think, I mean, all of us are basically probably throwing things at each other saying, well, if you haven't heard it, go and check it out. And I would say that, you know, forget forget the pistols, forget all the stuff behind it and what have you, but check out the Rich Kids Ghost of Princes in Towers because it's a, I just think it's one of those lost singles that we've all got on, I'm sure, you know, where we thought that should have been a hit, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that, that uh, whole album. I mean, is kind of a lost oh. album, and oh, and you look at the projects that came after the Pistols. People get hung up on the Pistols because of yeah. the, the fury, you know, and the hype and all that. But there was good music behind it, and there was good music after it. When you think about what Glenn did with the Rich Kids, what Steve and Paul did with the Professionals, which was uh, also another yeah. lost, a lost, uh, you know, lost project, and also what John did with Pill. I mean, it is often overlooked in the United States because it was not kind of what was expected to be coming yeah. out of someone who had fronted the pistols so all that music and all you know Stephen paul did a lot of very very bloody good music as well as glenn so you know did you ever try and get glenn to play that or did you get to play it live with him anything yeah, was... you did you ever get to play oh, any yeah. rich kid stuff live with glenn yeah we did uh, we did burning sounds and um ghost of princes and towers Nice. 
and again, an absolute thrill, you know, an absolute thrill to play those sort of songs, you know. I'd uh, I'd have done, to be honest, I'd, I'd have done. And also, let's not forget that the, uh, you know, the Rich Kids did, did reform a couple of times. Um, to uh, The first time was to help Steve New, who was very ill at the time and did subsequently pass away. But, uh, yeah, they did reunite and do some shows. And uh, I, I obviously offered to help. And, and I was the uh, I was the sort of drum roadie, guitar roadie, bass tech whatever you want to call it. I was just kind of on hand throughout that thing. So again, that was a, a real thrill to, um, to be involved in, in that. And, uh, and then when they reformed again to do another one, um, they had Gary Kemp, um, on guitar yeah. from Spandau Ballet. Yeah. Um, cause he's a big fan. He was a big Rich Kids fan. And that was brilliant as well, because I also got to be the drum tech for Paul Cook, uh, because the professionals were supporting and, uh, and, uh, he, he couldn't get his drum tech for that night. So, that was another. That was another fun thing. Tucking for cookie, brilliant. Yeah, it's amazing. I was literally free. The only place I could be on the stage was crouched behind the bass amp, so that the audience didn't see me. But it meant that I was literally three feet away from Paul Cook, and it was, it was great just watching this guy that had been quite an inspiration when I was a young lad, you know. And uh, and they're nice people as well. Good people, you know. They're good, uh, good guys. All right, well, I'm going to get in with a pick and. Uh... Um, this is a band that, uh, as I went backwards through their catalog, I found that I liked their older stuff more. But this single is not one of the older stuff. It's actually something after they'd uh, kind of gone off the burner a little bit. And so it's the cult. Um, got into them in '87, uh, you know, when they really started hitting in the states where I was living at the time. So obviously, Electric is a fantastic album. But I found I preferred Love. And Dreamtime even more, and then going back to Death Cult and Southern Death Cult stuff, just absolutely brilliant stuff. But for a single, one of my all-time favorite songs is The Witch, which came out after Ceremony. And Ceremony was an album that really saw them kind of stagnate. wasn't successful. I think it had Wild Hearted Son on it and whole other, you know, after Sonic Temple, it was kind of you know down from there for for a bit but the witch is just a wicked wicked song with a wicked kind of you know this is a what positive punk they were called in the early days post-punk uh for the southern death cult just a fantastic band and ian's voice to this day is one of those to me iconic rock voices that i can hear down the road i know someone's playing the cult and my ears perk up because it's a band that continues to work continues to put out music continue to do what they want how they want and i've got nothing but the greatest respect but that is one track if you've not heard it go and check it out because i think it was on a soundtrack originally but it's been on uh, many of their greatest hits packages that's fantastic absolutely fantastic i've seen them a bit have you seen them I, I miss them when they were out here in San Francisco uh, rec- recently, and the last time before that, I just don't get the opportunity. But uh, I did buy the the CDs from that show when they were selling them. And it, they're still, I mean, they're still really good. And I, I, I'm again, you know, it's just one of these things where almost everything we talk about, I'm probably going to have some sort of weird connection with. But obviously, um, you know, James Stevenson, who was the guitarist in the Philistines with. Glenn and myself. He's the second live. He's sort of the extra guitarist live for the for the cult. Um, he's done several tours. He's not every single tour, but but a lot of them. And so I was very lucky enough that James sorted me out some tickets when they played when he was doing the last tour with them. 
and um, and they were fantastic, absolutely fantastic. They're really, really good. And uh, so I, I just think they're just one of those brilliant bands. They, you know, they're still still rocking, still sounding good. Yep. All right, Mark. Let's go on. Move on. Oh, okay, so um, yeah, so I'll go on to my next one then. But I was going to say the Cult is another one of those bands that I really dug. And when I was in high school, I was a big fan of them. Especially Sonic Temple was one of my more yeah. favorite records when when that came out. And again, you know, that was one of those situations where I had electric before, and thought it was pretty cool. It's like a you know a British version of like ACDC, which I guess is technically the same thing. They are British anyways, but Australian British, you know. Um, but the thing is, I thought that Bob Rock kind of took them to a different level sonically with their sound. I think it was a much more smoothened out sound, but it, it had such power to it. So I really, I really loved that record. Um, but speaking of great voices, my eighth pick is from a band that we're lucky to have two iconic singers throughout their, well, more than two, but two that people really talk about uh, as far as great singers go. And again, this is another situation where I got into them after their first singer was gone and ended up going back into them more later on and discovering all their back catalogue. And that's Black Sabbath. And uh, I got into them when Dio was with them. And my my favorite song that got me into them was Heaven and Hell. Like that song right there was to me one of the staple, you know, metal songs that, you know, everybody and their brother knew, especially around here where I lived in Canada. You know, the people were hot on Black Sabbath, especially with Dio. And then, you know, it took, you know, I guess one of my friends down the street had some of the older Sabbath stuff like uh, Sabotage and Sabbath Bloody Sabbath. And he goes, yeah, did you ever hear any of this stuff? And I was like, nah, no. And I knew of like Paranoid and stuff like that, but I wasn't too familiar with their older stuff. So once I got into uh, the Dio stuff, I went backwards into that stuff and found that I liked that too. And in fact, one of my favorite Sabbath albums is the debut record. I've always thought that that's one of the best albums that uh, that it was ever done and the fact that it was done in like 16 hours or whatever it was on a straight four track machine is like just unbelievable you know to think that this is a record that was done in that way you know it still boggles the mind to this day that you have people like me and other people who are using like you know upwards to like 30 and you know 45 tracks to record a song and these guys made a fantastic you know barn burner of a record with four tracks you know it makes you feel like a fool that he takes that many tracks for me to do a, a song that sounds anywhere near as good as their stuff so black sabbath has always been a big influence on me and especially the the dio era and it's too bad that he left us so soon because when he came back the last time and they did heaven and hell the the group i had a chance to see them a couple of times live and he was just like unbelievable live this guy so uh, he's sorely missed, in my opinion, and uh, you know, again, he'll always be influential to me. Brilliant. I mean, you know, I had Sabbath pick in mind as well, "Symptom of the Universe," which yeah. is it, just again, many of the songs that have been on my list are ones that I pick up the guitar and play along to, and there it's usually a riff or maybe a, a little noodly section that I try, I'm trying to learn because it just resonates with me. But, you know, my first Sabbath album was uh, What Masters of Reality, so Sweet Leaf and all that, and then we got to experience more. David, let's move on to your next pick. Okie dokie. Wow, okay. It's the same single, 
but I have four copies, and it's uh, Generation X King Rocker. And uh, what I loved about this is that they released it in four different sleeves and four different coloured vinyls, and I, I have them all. And uh, so yeah, you've got the, the you've got the, the Billy Idol sleeve, and then uh, Tony James, Mark Laff, and then a very nice uh, orange Bob Derwood Andrews. And uh, King Rocker, I just, I just, it's one of those singles, as soon as I heard it, I just thought it's fantastic. I mean, it, brilliantly produced by Ian Hunter. Um, Ian Hunter, obviously, fantastic artist in his own right. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, I'm going to say it anyway. Yeah, Tracy Hunter, Ian Hunter's daughter, was one of the backing vocalists with Glenn when we were touring and stuff as well, so there's a connection there. But that's not why I chose it. Um, but no, I remember seeing it on, um, you know, when, when Generation X came out, I just thought they had that brilliant mix of just really catchy tunes and um, and a bit of a strut, and, uh, and they had something about them. But uh, King Rocker, I just love the idea that lyrically, you know, it's about sort of, you know, John Lennon and Elvis having a fight and all that sort of stuff, or basically, you know, those sort of rockers, you know, belting it out. Brilliant guitar playing, fantastic sound on the drums, and it's just it's just one of those things. I wouldn't say they're, a, you know, a favourite band of mine. I mean, I have got, I've got, you know, some, I've got a Best Of album, I've got the first album, I've got Kiss Me Deadly album. I've got sort of, you know, I'll cherry pick from that sort of thing. But King Rocker as a single, I think, is an absolute masterpiece. So I had to just pop that in there. And yes, I have got all four colours. I'll have to check that one out again. I haven't uh, had much experience with Gen X. Yeah. Uh, I, I just think they're brilliant. And, and I love that. Again, it goes back to, you know, that's so why I did my single on clear vinyl and what have you, is because it's you know the collecting thing of just I remember trying to get all four colours, and it was great. I also it was the moment, um, it was also the the moment not back then but later on in life that I realised that a girlfriend wasn't the right woman for me because uh, she was looking through things and I was I was playing some records at home and I pulled out all four of them and I was like deciding which one to play and she said, "Is that the same song?" And I went, "Yeah," and she said. <laughs> It's just on different colours. And I went, yeah. She says, well, what are you trying to decide? So I don't know what one to play. I might play the red one. And she, she gave me a look. She looked at me. She looked at me like a dog that had been shown a card trick. She, you know, she just, she just couldn't get her head around it at all. And I thought, this probably isn't going to last. You know? <laughs> all right. I, I'm going to... My next pick was a single. It was a lead-off single off a 1981 album. Um, one of the guitarists on it ended up being my sister's landlord in Sheffield. He used to come around and fix clogged sinks. Um, and this band is being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this year. Def Leppard, Let It Go, from the mighty, mighty um, High and Dry album, which is an album, again, I just talked about strapping on a guitar. I will put a guitar on and play every song other than bringing on the heartbreak from that album just <laughs> loved the guitar work i mean pete willis and steve clark were just a pair perfectly married in a band a, a youthful band and i know britain kind of rejected them after on through the night came out and in in the uk at least high and jai was just completely ignored managed to go gold in north america because they had a, a lot of uh you know kind of support they did extremely well in the u.s touring with blackfoot and all sorts of bands uh ozzy uh, in 81 so 
to this day the whole album but you know it's the lead off track it sets the tones unfortunately pete only plays the guitar parts at the end but um it's just fun guitar rock music um great stuff yeah brilliant definitely uh i mean like i say you know we've uh when when we met Julian in in the good old UK, we were sort of talking about Death Leopard, you know, and uh, you know, they, obviously they they're a big one for all of us in the UK. I think, you know, they uh, they just they they ticked all the right boxes, and it was really good. That, you know, everyone, it's a shame they had to go through the whole tragedy of it all, but um, they basically have just kept on going throughout. And you know, some a lot of what happened to them would have just you know nailed any other band. But, um, you know, they just kept coming back. And it was uh, really, really good. I like Hysteria. I mean, I do. I know it's a bit poppy and, and a bit sort of mainstream, but it's a, it's a peach of an album, I think. But, yeah, the early stuff's fantastic. It? Yeah, it may, it may be poppy, but play something like Gods of War. And, I mean, this yeah. is there's very few bands that really approach kind of the level of creativity that bands such as Queen did in the 70s. Uh, just all these layers of sounds and mm-hmm. I mean if you listen to interviews of Phil um, you know talking about the guitar work I and mean, just we can't play it live we have to play <laughs> kind of a composite of all these different guitar tracks um, because there's too much oh, yeah. guitars in it so you know it, it you know it, it doesn't matter to me which Def Leppard I'm sure there's some that are a little bit too poppy but uh, give me Euphoria give me High and Dry you know first album Pyromania it's, yeah so, it's yeah. interesting because because when you mentioned that whole thing about them not being able to play live, when I first was into guitar playing, uh, the Hysteria guitar book was one of the first ones that I got given to me as a gift. And I remember looking through the tablature uh, of it, and there were numerous songs where it was like guitar one, guitar three, guitar six, guitar sound. Like, what the hell? Like, there were so many guitar sections for songs. that, that But that really opened my eyes to realizing how much guitar layering happens in some of these songs to make it sound the way it is and that's one of the things that sparked my mind into production and getting into that I was like wow like you know i didn't realize that just playing an open e string through a whole chorus could add so much to a song i mean it looks ridiculous just doing it just going like you just think that you're an idiot doing it but when you add that to all the other things in there it adds so much to it it's unbelievable so um and, and before i go to my next pick Def leopard is one of the bands that I haven't been collecting vinyl of it all. I've been collecting cassettes of. So I have my cassette copy of On Through the Night, Let, High and Dry, Pyromania, Hysteria. Now I'm just trying to see if I can find cassette copies of some of the later records. But for some reason, the cassette and Def Leppard connect with me for some reason. Because that was what I used to always listen to in my car back in the day when I was listening to Def Leppard. So I have a kind of a connection with cassette for that. But let's get on to my next uh, pick. And uh, this is a band that I got into a little bit later, considering um, how long this band has been out in the progressive scene. And uh, this band, I have to single-handedly give my tip of the hat to for getting me back interested in writing songs again. This band, their songs were so crazy when I started listening to them, and the way they did their vocals on some of their records were unbelievable. The song I'm going to actually reference as a single or my, well, one of the songs that I really enjoy from them, is far better live, and the rearrangement that they've done of it live is so much better than the studio version. I always go to YouTube and at least watch it once or twice a week, and that is the band Gentle Giant. 
and they have a song called On Reflection, and that's from the album Freehand. And on the album, it's, you know, very musical and stuff like that, and the vocals come in about halfway through. But on the live version of this, they started off with this really crazy five-part vocal harmony where they're, where they're countering each other, and the drummer runs out and plays xylophone bits in between the vocals, and then the guy's playing trumpet with one hand and the bass on the other hand. It's absolutely insane watching them play this song. And that, when I was in the hospital, was my leg broken, and I saw that on YouTube in my bed. I was like, it, it really made me sit up and just get excited to go to my physiotherapy to get back up and rolling again because I just inspired me musically to see these guys do it. So that's a really important pick for me. So if you haven't seen Gentle Giant doing On Reflection live, there's a great video of them doing it somewhere in England for the BBC uh, television show uh, on the on that channel. I forget what the show was called, but they were doing some live video uh, television program. It's on there. You just put their Gentle Giant On Reflection and you watch that version of it It'll blow your mind, I, I swear. Well, I'm, I'm really happy that you brought that one up because, um, you know, one thing I love about the podcast that both of you do um, is that uh, I always discover something, you know, I, I you know, and, and even if it's an artist I know about, it'll be like Ken Keenan. I can't believe Ken Keenan actually made me check out a Billy Joel track because <laughs> on one of your things, because he was like, and I, I mean, not that that's, yeah. Uh, it, <laughs> and I, I didn't go and buy the album or anything, but it was it was fascinating. He was right; it was a good track. It was a good track, but I'd never thought it. And I have to say, I've never heard anything by Gentle Giant. I'm sorry, I I just haven't. I haven't, but I will. Really? Uh, yeah, I'll check that out. But uh, yeah, I don't know Gentle Giant at all. Not at all. You know, I know that I can see. I can picture one of their album sleeves because it's got a great big giant bloke on yeah. the front. It's just the face. Um, but no, beyond that sleeve. I don't know him at all. Julian, do you know? Nothing. Gentle- I had some Gentle Giant CDs that came in a stack and never heard of them, so I just took them to the uh, local place to sell them on. Never checked them out. <laughs> <laughs> all right, David, let's do another pick, one of your picks. We're not going to get to 10 uh, today, so we'll just go for a couple more rounds, and uh, then we'll uh, get back to talking about your single. Okie dokie. Uh, righto. Uh, well, I'll be quick then. In that case, this band is going in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this year as well. So, uh, And it is The Cure. And this is a, a track called The Forest. Um, and that was, that, was a, that was the only track I'd heard before um, going to see them live. And this was, that was back in 1980. And then I went and saw them in 1981. And they, you know, they weren't they weren't a big band. And I ended up meeting the uh, the drummer at the time, who's Lowell Tolhurst. And uh, me and Lowell are still friends 34, 35 years later. Uh, we sort of became, you know, uh, I, I became pen pal. I was only like 14 years old or something, but I was really sort of, I was really all excitable. And I said, oh, I'm a drummer too, you know. And, uh, and I'm amazed he didn't tell me to just go off. You know, um, but he was uh, he was really nice. And, um, yeah, we sort of became friends. And I, I ended up sort of hanging around with The Cure in around about sort of 1984, 85. Um, there's some pictures of that time on, on Facebook. And, uh, you yeah, know, brought sharply into focus quite recently with the death of Andy Anderson, the drummer, who was the drummer at the time that I was kind of hanging out with them. Because Lowell was still there, but he was on keyboards by that point. Um, but dear old Andy, rest in peace, a lovely guy. And uh, But The Cure are amazing. And it was weird 
to see them when they weren't a big band, you know, and uh, and then watch how they got bigger and bigger and bigger, and then they then they, then they blew up in the states, and now. I, I'm still sort of scratching my head. They're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this year. You know, it's amazing. And as soon as I heard, I sent Lowell a message, and and he got back to me. And and I think his you know his head's spinning a little bit. But uh, yeah, there you go. So uh, we've we've both picked Rock and Roll Hall of Famers. And I'm going to have to check that one out because you know mid '80s when I was into you know getting into music in the U.S. I missed the Cure completely. Um, and then by the time I was in high school, the people who were listening to the Cure were basically the Goths, and they were they were kind of forbidden from the burners, uh, you know, yeah. all, all the cliques. So you know, I avoided the music. I know Kiss We Kiss or whatever it was, Kiss Kiss Kiss, um, you know, hit big in '87. Yeah. yeah, and that's about all I know. I know obviously Robert Smith, and I know what he looks like, um, and that's that's my sum total knowledge on the Cure. Well, in the in the same way as we were talking about Def Leppard, I'd say the Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me album is there, sort of a bit more poppy and a bit more sort of light, and the same with the Wish and with, with Ish and with, with Wish the album, um, but that had the big a lot of big hits on it. But uh, the the first. Um, the first album sounds like nothing they ever did ever since. It's very sort of very lo-fi production and what have you. But then the, the three albums after that, 17 Seconds, Faith and um, Pornography, uh, they get darker and darker and darker. And I think the Pornography album is the one that the, the Cure fans that sort of died in the wall, Cure fans, everyone holds that one up as the album. If you want their non-commercial really dark but probably a lot of cure fans favorite one um and it's uh, the production on it's great lyrically it's great and it, there's some weird sounds on it and stuff but uh it's um yeah it's not uh, it's not a sing it's not a, an album that had any massive hits on it uh, they took a couple of singles off it but uh it really wasn't until they sort of started exploring the sort of uh the more pop commercial side of things and um and then they had that as well so you know all-rounders. Well, I'll check out that single that you've uh, shared. All right, so my next pick, and I guess uh, Mark's kind of already alluded to Sabbath, and uh, this is another band from that area of the the world, Judas Priest. Ah, yes. And again, mid-'80s, getting into music, um, I really got into Priest with Turbo. But I then discovered that a song that I'd heard in 1980 was actually Judas Priest, so I realized that I'd liked them for, I'd, you know, for a few years before that, but never found out who the band was playing on that tape deck at a, you know, at a summer house. So um, as I got into the catalog, I found that there's a buried gem on the first album, and. Obviously, Rockerola is an album by a band that's still looking for its own identity. It's not like that first uh, Sabbath album, which is a complete presentation of something completely new and different. So Priest had a bit of uh, progressive elements going through them at that time. And Run of the Mill, to this day, is just one of my favorite pieces of music. It's epic, it's proggy, it's strange... It's just absolutely beautiful as well. So, uh, as an obscure album when it comes to Priest, people, most people are going to start thinking British Steel or Sad Wings. If those with taste will probably think Stained Class. 
Um, mm-hmm. Some screaming for vengeance. This this whole first album has so much excellent stuff on it. Represented by Run of the Mill is just the standout track on that, and it's also the bloody long. It's like eight, eight and a half minutes long. So uh, you know, one of those real nice pieces that just keeps going with lots of uh, intricate guitar work, great vocals by Rob. Yeah, but again, I I don't know it, um, which is, uh, and I'm very keen to check it out because I do like Judas Priest, but I came in to Judas Priest around about the time of sort of British Steel and singles like United and Breaking the Law and all that sort of stuff, and uh, I've got that lovely um, clear vinyl 12-inch of, um, oh, God, is it Highway? No, not Highway Star, that's another band. Heading now <laughs> to the highway. Yeah, is that right? Is that right? Is Heading now to the, the highway, yeah. I know it's got hey, green outside. Um but yeah, Judas Priest. I'm I I only really know them from when they properly broke through in the sort of new wave of British heavy metal science thing. So that's definitely something I'll check out. I'll look forward to that. Yeah, it's 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 interesting because I got into them much later than that. Um, I was aware of Turbo, wasn't too keen on it. That was around the time when I first have heard of them. But then I got right into them when Painkiller came out. I was like, wow, this is like unbelievable. And then as soon as I got hooked in with Painkiller, then my whole mission to go backwards and find everything, you know, started. And I, I was just absolutely shocked when I stumbled across Sad Wings of Destiny, like, later on. I was like, wow, this is, like, incredible. And this is, like, their second record. Like, it's unbelievable, like, that they had such a great amount of songs at their early part of their career. So I was, I was really taken aback that, you know, they had a record like Painkiller, but then they had something like Sad Wings of Destiny, like 20 years before that, you know. So it was absolutely incredible. It was a, it was a fantastic discovery for me. Um, I'll do one more, and then we'll, so we can go get onto David's thing. Is um, this this artist to me is everybody's favorite artist, I think, from when it comes to England, especially if you're a musician. And I know that David has a good connection to somebody who works very closely with him or who had worked very closely with them. Um, so I'm talking about, of course, David Bowie, right? And I know that you have a good connection with Mr. Yeah. Tony Visconti. That is right? me. It's me and Mr. Me, me and Mr. Visconti, yeah. Yeah. So, and I know that he's done some of the, uh, some of David's fantastic records have been done with him. And, uh, you know, as a musician, um, I've always been a big fan of David's stuff because I loved Mick Ronson. His guitar playing was always something that, you know, I loved. And to this day, I'll put on like, you know, uh, the, the Ziggy Stardust uh, live video that they have out there. You know, the Spiders from Mars live from the, uh, I think it was uh, the Hammersmith Odeon. I always watch that, crank it in my, my room. It's just unbelievable live performances and then i know you've also performed with holy holy with with woody woodman z right so i mean you know to to, for to know somebody like you who's done that i'm just feel honored to to know you that you've been involved with these people you know and uh, it's just it's incredible like i mean you're sitting beside the guy who's done heroes you know like that to me is incredible you know so i i've always thought that it's a fantastic Thing, you know that you have connection with somebody like that who you know you can have his ear every once in a while i'm sure to you know give you little tips and stuff like that and this is something that me as a guy who does my own records as well we you know admire that you have that you know and and that i can even talk to you about stuff like that so 
it's yeah. David Bowie has that connection, I think, with all of us. Like, you know, he's 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 connected us in so many ways. Yeah. Well, I mean, when when I when I had my sort of um, you know my time with Tony, which was basically when I was um, I did I played guitar on the Daphne Guinness album, uh, the, the Golden Chord, and um, and yeah, again. Yeah, I don't get starstruck or anything, but I do remember sitting in the guitar booth waiting to do my bit with my headphones on. And, you know, you hear the talkback button get pushed down and then it's Tony's voice coming through your headphones. And you think, wow, this that's the voice. That's the voice that told Bowie what he was doing and Mark Boland and Thin Lizzy and, you know, and all this sort of stuff, you know. Oh, yeah, that's the booth. There you go. That was uh, Malcolm from Daphne's band uh, took that photograph. Yeah. And I was, I, it was, it was quite nerve-wracking because I know um, one of the good things about Tony as a producer is um, he, he wants to get it right, and he doesn't, uh, he doesn't suffer people who mess about. So I knew I had to get it, but I, I did it in one take. I'm pleased to say, and uh, when as the last chord rang out, I could feel the sweat trickling down my armpits, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, and then I heard the voice come through and go, you know. That was great, Dave. That was great. Do you want to come in? You know, so uh, that was really good. But you say about the Bowie thing. I mean, I've always loved, loved Bowie. You know, I, I loved the Low album. I loved Ashes to Ashes. I loved all the early Ziggy and all that sort of stuff. But and uh, and um, but he's one of these. He's so so prolific that um, you, you just kind of like a bit of everything, don't you? You sort of take it on board. But when I started doing things like Holy Holy and um, which obviously is Woody, but let's not forget. That we had on backing vocals, we had Lisa Ronson, his daughter, and Maggie Ronson, his sister, um, and uh, you know we even had Hannah, his niece, on keyboards. And uh, so there was like the you know the Ronson ladies, as we like to call them, um, as as well as Tracy Hunter, Ian Hunter's daughter. You know, so I mean, the, the very first Holy Holy lineup was, was amazing. You know, and all these people in it, and it's great. And me, and I, I to this day, I don't know how I managed to end up in that. To be honest, I, I don't know. You know, but uh, I saw saw Woody a, a little while ago, a, few, a couple of weeks ago, and it, you know, he's still great, and he's a fantastic guy. So, but what it did was it made me really appreciate Bowie all over again. Because when you're learning a set of his songs, you have to really get your head down and you know and, and and think about them and I was in Erdl Kizilke's band as well which he's the guy that co-wrote um outside when the wind blows all that sort of stuff with Bowie as well so that, that was another thing of, of having to learn those those lines and 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 I think we'd be amiss David if you didn't tell that story that you told me about when you got that little phone call from Bowie what did he tell you remember you told me that thing that he told you something Oh no no that that was no that was he he um no I can't tell that you have to edit that <laughs> no you'll have to edit that out um can you do that too <laughs> absolutely yeah good. I'll tell you off air <laughs> why you know so uh, oh, yeah. how can I start it? how can I start this with a clean edit Julian um just go uh, talk about Bowie. And uh, if you, if you, actually, I'll jump in here. Hey, uh, I've also got to pick on Bowie. And, you know, just before we uh, start wrapping this, um, The Man Who Sold the World was on mine. And, you know, one of the things with Bowie was I got a greater appreciation of his music when the guys from Def Leppard did the Cybernauts project mm -hmm. and went out to Japan and did a set. I think Woody was in the band, Trevor Boulder, um, 
can't remember who else, obviously Phil and Joe. Um, but it, it was just a whole bunch. It was more about Mick, actually, than Bowie, because they had Angel Number 9 in there as well. So, you know, all of that that kind of music and that time, all those singles, you know, be it Ziggy, be it, you know, whatever, it's just so central to kind of my musical life. Again, I'm more likely to throw on a Cybernos album, or the Cybernos album, since there was only the one, than go and actually listen to uh, all the Bowie stuff that I've got on my iTunes. So it's mm. one of those weird things, maybe because it's a marriage of Def Leppard, Bowie, and Honoring Mick, that makes it a, a little bit more... Uh, meaningful to me within the context of when I became a music fan because obviously I wasn't around listening to music in 71, 72 when David was doing all that stuff so, it, it, you know, great great music well, I, I, think, I, feel, I feel very lucky that obviously I get to hear the stories and all this stuff. so I've done bits and pieces with uh, Earl Slick as well along the, along the years and so there was the, you know, there's, there's quite a lot of um, non-Visconti stuff from that era, as you know um, so yeah, I had a good old, good, good wide thing. Now, do I still have one left? Um, we were going to do. Yeah. Give us, give us, yeah. Your, give us your last pick and, uh, okay. then we'll uh, go into the conclusion. It's so hard, isn't it? To, 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 which ones do you leave <laughs> out? But I, I wanted to try and give you guys something that you, um, probably have never heard, you know, cause it, it's, it's new. It's very new. Um, but it's a band I'm sure we've all been to see a band and we've just stood there with our jaws dropped, you know. Um, and this is a band that have really only sort of come into my radar over the last couple of years. I think they've only been going a couple of years. And um, I would doubt that you could have heard from them. They're from Manchester and they are called Witch Fever. And this is their, this is their debut single. Mm. And it's on uh, it's on very very nice groovy red vinyl. Now um, the reason I picked this was because it had been ages and ages, and uh, since I got really impressed by a band. And what I mean by that is because obviously I love a lot of bands, and I go and I think, wow, that band was good, or you know, support bands that maybe support us. And this was a, this was a thing I was playing for. You know, again, Ed Graham, the guy that was the drummer in the darkness, he had his new band and I was playing bass in it. And we had this gig in London and the support band, not even the main support, the support before the main support was this band, Witch Fever. And I sort of wandered through and I thought, oh, well, I'll, you know, I'll go and I'll go and have a look. And it has been years since I've had the effect that they had on me. They're about... I don't know how old they are. It doesn't really matter, but I, I'm guessing about 19, 20, something like that, around that. And they just, I've never seen a band so in control. And so it was like four Nirvanas coming at you, you know, sort of thing. They were so loud and 100% into what they were doing. Total, total dedication to what they were doing. And when I spoke to them afterwards, you know, they'd driven down from Manchester in a, in a van to come and do this this gig where they were like, you know, first on uh, three bands, you know. And uh, and the thing, I remember walking into the dressing room after watching them and I said to, I said to the guys in my band, we are in such trouble. <laughs> 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 because I just thought, I've just seen one of the most 
amazing live bands you know they were just so it's hard to say what what it was about them but they were and musically they were brilliant they did a cover version of something in the middle of their song in the middle of their set and that was that was the worst bit of the set their own tunes were amazing and this single is called toothless and uh i just highly recommend it and uh, i don't know whether it, you know i don't know how many copies they pressed um all i do know is that they've only just got their first sort of big support tour with a band in this country, you know. So I, I honestly think that you'll be seeing them on the world stages soon. So that's why that was going to be my last single so that I could just kind of propel into the future a bit. But, uh, yeah, if it, for me personally, if you like it loud, noisy and right in your face, um, definitely Witch Fever have had the biggest impact on me in terms of just watching a live band and then thinking, you know, I immediately wanted to know if they'd recorded anything. They said, no, not yet. You know, and as a producer, I'd, I would love to produce that band. You know, I'd love to because I, I just thought they were amazing. I can't wait till there's an album, you know. Um, but there you go. So, yeah, the tip, tip for the future, Witch Fever from Manchester. Nice. So, you know, that's a whole bunch of singles. But let's, uh, you know, talk about the, the Venus Reaction single, which uh, got the, the cover. Sure. Here. Uh, what what are the plans you spent today doing work um, for the repush of it? Yeah. How how are how are things going to roll out now a year down the road to to start repushing it? Well, basically we sneaked it out. We like I say, um, look, part of it was this personal reason where I, I just wasn't in the right mood to try and sort of promote and what have you. And uh, but uh, also now it's like we've um, Amazon have come on board. You know, you can get it through Amazon.co.uk as well as the um, as well as the places the, the the two distributors we had before and still have is uh, BurningShed.com and uh, which I know you've bought a few things off BurningShed, Mark. Oh yeah. And uh, and the, and the MerchDesk.com. Um, so you can get them through there. But what's really nice for me is that what today marks March the twenty second marks for me is um it's actually going to retail and that's what i like it's going into independent record shops today so i i love the idea that if people want to go into their local record shop that sells vinyl and sells singles um we're now being distributed by um code seven plastic head um and uh, and they will be getting them into the shops as well so if you in america and in Canada, it's a bit different. You might as well still go for Burning Shed or the Merch Desk if you want to grab one. Um, but I just, I just love the fact that it's going to be in physical, physical shops, and um, you know, I, that, that's the thing that because it's that experience. Lot is what we've just been talking about for the last hour or whatever it is. You know, it's, uh, it, it's, it's, it's the single. It's the, uh, it's, it's that that sort of thing. And also, I always promoted this single as a debut farewell single. Because it is, we won't do it. We won't do it again. We won't do it again. I mean, Amy's, Amy's got a new band together, and she'll be doing the Amy Conradine band. Um, Glenn's just released, obviously, his Good to Go album, and he's doing all his other stuff as well. He's got his All Star band and lots of acoustic shows and all that sort of stuff. Ed's got his Puppets to the Supreme Commander, which I'm, I play on as well. So he's got his new band. But it was never meant to be a band. It was never. It was a band. It was meant to be a band that isn't a band. Do you know what I mean? It's just one of those weird <laughs> get-togethers. Um, and I, um, I just made sure that all the elements were good. I got um, Jim Lowe, who is, um, he's done a lot of stuff for Stereophonics, Charlatans, um, Pink, 
I think was all of it something he did as well. And like, so he mixed it for me. And um, so that's that's why it sounds so good. And then I got it mastered by John Davis, who um, who did all the Led Zeppelin remasters as well as, you know, stereophonics stuff and, and Lama Del Rey and all that sort of thing. I produced it, obviously, and that's obviously a phenomenal production job. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, to get to, I just wanted everything about it to be what I found exciting about singles. And I, you know, I, on the back, it's got all the information you could possibly want about who did what. And, and then obviously a ton of thank yous, uh, you know, everyone from uh, my sisters and my friend, Chelly, um, to Lowell, Lowell Tolhurst, Mick Wall, and all that sort of bunch people who've helped me, people who've given me a bit of a, you know, a bit of a shove, and uh, and, I, and I won't do it again. I don't think I'll ever do it again. I mean, I, you know, I've got bands that I'm in, Atlantic Machine, um, Choose Your Weapon, and those sort of thing. Those bands will, I'll do some more stuff with them. But I think in terms of something that's pretty much my doing and 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 my band, if you like, I just wanted to do it and and get it out there before. Um, before it got too late, really, it was just—it just felt like the right time to do it, you know, to spend a lot of time playing with all these 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 people who are fantastic. And I just sort of realised that I used to be in bands doing my own stuff as well, you know, and uh, and so that was that was my um, well, it's a very rambling way round of just saying I just wanted to put out something that was mine and make it special. But that, that was the main that was to make it special. And um, I know that everything I'm saying sounds like a plug. But, um, you know, even the download card, the lyrics are on there. There's photos. There's a biog. Um, there's the demo, which is just me and the girl, me and the girl that wrote it, Chelsea Riley. Um, that's me and her. I'm playing everything. She's singing it. It's 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 a low it's a lo-fi, you know, four track version of Crashing Up. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I did today was basically a, a, a brand new advert for it. It's only it's a 50 second advert that will be on YouTube. And Julian, I can send you the link if you like, if you want to. Yeah, please do. So, um, so you'll hear a 50 second uh, burst of it. And um, but it's it's weird because I don't want to do the big sell, really. I kind of want it to just leak out to those who'll enjoy it, you know. And I think if you do like bands like Professionals, like we were talking about, or, you know, the, the, the rockier end of post-punk or whatever um, with a female vocal, you know, then uh, somebody with, said it with, sounded... with, a, with a fabulous female vocal. Let's, let's not downsell the quality of her singing because, oh, you know, I was impressed by that. And, I, you know, let me also say I was impressed by the production. I mean, it's a really crisp, you know, great, great production. So, you know, the whole thing is quality. Somebody, yeah, did say, somebody did say they thought it sounded like the professionals with a female vocalist, which I was really pleased about, um, <laughs> you know, because that was, that was you know, that, I love the professionals, you know, I love that guitar sound, Jonesy's guitar sound and stuff like that. But I, I think it's just, a, I just went for the big sort of wall of guitars. And, and like I say, Amy is just, she's just one of these, I sometimes find with female singers that do rock, they, they sometimes try and put on a bit, a bit of a sort of voice, you know, um, and that sort of thing. Whereas Amy doesn't actually have to do that. She's just, she is, uh, you know, um, but she's got, she just, she just sounds like she means everything that she sings. You know what I mean? And that's what I like. That's what I like. I liked her. I didn't want her to put on any sort of flavor for it. I didn't really give her any direction, you know, you know, um, it's, it's really, and it's really good. I mean, I've listened to it several times and I have a copy obviously of it. And uh, 
I mean, even the the B side I think is is an excellent song too. I mean, I I like the whole single. I mean, it's one of those singles that I can honestly say that I, I'm almost sad that there's not going to be like a full length. It's one of those things where you get it like, oh, I wonder when the full length album's going to come out. You know, yeah, kind of yeah. thing. Is it, it's it's so good. It's done really well. You know, so I I don't I don't think that that should be underplayed. It's a really really strong single. You know, and if people like you said, if people like that type of music and like that sort of uh you know that that genre of hard rock you know i think it's going to be right up their alley absolutely and i, I think uh, the weird the weird split is that um i find that a lot of the younger younger people sort of like 17 years old to sort of 22 or whatever one um, well, even younger than that i suppose but they really like crashing up and maybe it's because chelsea wrote the lyrics to that and i, I know that yeah, Chelsea was was quite badly bullied at school, and and that was her. She kind of wrote that as a sort of you know fuck you um, <laughs> to, to the people that caused that because she uh, she obviously came through it, you know. But that was her experience, and uh, and so the younger people seem to really like that. Whereas Lifetime was entirely written by me, and it's just me whinging about getting older. Um, always, uh, I, I mean, somebody somebody asked me in an interview not long back. Um, what it, what it was, well, my answer to this thing that they, they were talking about was that they, they'd said that there was a bloke on there as well with me that said, uh, he just, he just I won't say who it is, but they just described this terrible, terrible series of events. And at the end of it, he did what a lot of people do. And they say, but do you know what? I wouldn't change a single thing. I'd do it all over again the same way. And I just thought, are you fucking mad? And it's like, <laughs> I, I, I think I'm an absolute volcano of regret. I change loads of stuff, you know. I, I have so many things, you know, and, and lifetimes, lifetimes, a bit of that. So, thing. And older people really like it, you know. People in their sort of thirties, forties, and early fifties, those are the messages that I get through Facebook, through the, the the Venus Reaction Facebook, where you get the older people saying, "Oh God, I really love that Lifetime song," and then you get the young kids saying, "You know, oh, crashing up's great, crashing up's great." So, hopefully, even within two tracks, there's something for everyone. Yeah, reaching all, reaching all kinds of demographics with just two songs. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But the main thing is just to try and make it special as well. I just didn't want to bung it out on iTunes and Spotify and, oh, there's a limited single if you want it. I just thought, no, it's only on vinyl. It's, you know, you can download it yourself off the card, but in terms of purchasing it, it's not on iTunes, it's not on Spotify. And as long as I can keep the record company at bay, it won't be, nope. you know. Yeah. So... Oh, that's <laughs> good. They're good. Yeah, Chris Chris Topham, who runs Playing Playing Groovy, he started that record company because he loves vinyl and he loves music as well. So he's he's with me on this one. You know. Well, brilliant. I hope uh, I hope it does well. I hope you get to see it in the store because, as Mark and I both know, even if we've taken the records in ourself or a book, in my case, into a store, there's nothing like seeing what you've created, music or writing, in yeah. a store where other people can see it rather than relying on, uh, you know, the connections that you may have online to have people purchase it, you know, go to Amazon and get it. No, it's in the store, you know, yeah, so yeah, yeah. It, that is well, brilliant. Both of you guys, both of you must have experienced um, this where you get a message from someone you don't know. Like they're not a friend of yours. They're not a friend of yours. You've never met them. They've just sent you a thing and said, Julian, I really loved your book, or Mark, I really loved the Project Gemini album. And that's the thrill for me, is that somebody yeah. somewhere heard about it, saw 
maybe they saw the, the, the old clips of the recording sessions that I put up on the Venus Reaction YouTube channel um, and then went from there because obviously at the end of all of them it says where you can buy it and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. But I, I love the fact that there's people I don't know. You know, we're all used to our mates buying our stuff and going, oh, I bought you single, you know. But, um, yeah, when it's someone totally out of the blue that you, you don't they're just saying, you know, I love it. Or they send you a photograph of it. One guy, one guy sent me a picture of his daughter in their living room. He was playing, crashing up really loud, and she was bouncing around on the sofa dancing, you know, and that was really good. And it was just amazing. And all over the country, all over the world as well, Japan. Germany so you know if anyone is watching this and wants one I'd, I'd hurry up because I, I don't I honestly I honestly don't know how, how long they'll last you know and it won't be repressed it won't be repressed I, it, I want it to be um, I want it to be a special thing so when it sells out it's gone brilliant yeah. well David Donnelly thank you very much for joining us to go through some of your top 10 uh, UK oh, singles We've got to do it again. There's too many left over. There's that, so many honourable mentions, know, but yeah. That's the whole idea about this is, you know, we get through as many as we can and then look at the time because we want to make sure that people can watch the shows within a reasonable amount of time, not having, you know, to go through two hours of people talking. And uh, there's some things that you've both mentioned today that I'm going to go and check out. And I hope the same um, for people who've watched or listened to this show. You know, I'll always be open-minded. I'm going to go check out that Cure song because obviously I hadn't, didn't have particularly kind things to say about The Cure when you mentioned yeah. them. But, uh, you know, always be open-minded about music and you may have a new discovery and then you've got a whole new back catalogue to go and check out. So. Oh, absolutely. And I, I think that in the future with this podcast, if you do another thing on, on music, um, if it's the two of you or whether it's all three of us and stuff, we should you, know, you should definitely do a, a whole podcast of I Bet You Haven't Heard This. That would be fun, and you, you know some of the, some of the things we have planned for the format on this show, not just top tens, not just single albums or rankings or yeah. movies. You know, it's endless the ways that we can approach looking at music because again, there's so much music out there to appreciate, so much stuff to learn. Um, and so many discoveries to be made. So hopefully, someone out there is going to discover crashing up. Mm -hmm. mm. Exactly. <laughs> let's well, let's call that there. Thank you all for listening, and uh, we hope you'll come back for another episode. We'll see you then. Bye for now. Thank you for watching or listening to this episode. Be sure to subscribe to us, like us, or even leave us a review. You can find us and join the conversation on Facebook. <laughs>